Before we start the program, I want to introduce you to an event that's coming up this August. The Loma Linda Institute of Worship is offering a worship leadership certificate to help leaders and pastors take their congregation's worship experience to the next level. This August 9-12 through 12 event will include presenters Randy Roberts, Adriana Pereira, Nicholas Zork, Wayne Buckner, Richard Hickam, and more, and provide the opportunity to perform on stage with Steve Green and the Heritage Singers. Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. Thank you, Kimo, for sharing that song. Honestly, it was a little uncomfortable to listen to, but what a powerful message. You know, having a challenging conversation can be a lot like listening to a challenging song. In both, it's difficult to catch the meaning. And that's what makes challenging conversations so challenging. As Pastor Randy shared last week, meaning is at the heart of conversations. You don't have a conversation unless meaning is understood. So there's a lot of interactions out there that sort of sound like conversations, but aren't. Because we all have our own perspectives that are colored by our worldviews, even in the best circumstances, the message can get a little bit garbled. And sometimes this garbling can be entertaining. Here's a few examples pulled from real-life church bulletins that were less than effective at communicating their intended meaning. Take a look. The first one reads, Barbara remains in the hospital and needs blood donors for more transfusions. She's also having trouble sleeping and requests tapes of Pastor Nelson's sermons. I mean, I know that people sometimes fall asleep during sermons, but I never thought that they could be used to add sleep aids. Here's the second one. The associate minister unveiled the church's new tithing campaign slogan last Sunday. I upped my pledge, up yours. Pastor Doug, what do you think? Our new slogan for our building campaign? And here's the third. Next Thursday, there will be tryouts for the choir. They need all the help they can get. Apparently their choir is not quite the level of our choir. Now we laugh. But we've all had those moments when a sentence sounded really good in our heads, but had a completely different meaning when we said them out loud. So it can be difficult to transfer meaning even in the best circumstances. But how about in less than ideal ones? How about when the topic is an emotionally charged one like race, religion, politics? How do we communicate meaning then, how do we listen for the message when the music of the conversation grates at the heartstrings of our souls? This is an important question because we face these types of challenging conversations all the time. One author described a challenging conversation as any conversation that you don't want to have. Can you think of a conversation that fits that description? A conversation that you need to have but you don't really want to have? Maybe it's confronting a friend about a destructive habit. Maybe it's addressing a coworker about being late all the time, or or it's talking to your aging parent about the future. And even though we don't want to have these conversations, we know we need to have these conversations because ignoring them doesn't make them go away. 
Actually, holding on to a challenging conversation is a lot like holding on to a live grenade. Eventually, it's gonna explode. So how do we broach these potentially explosive encounters in a way that brings more healing than harm? How do we communicate meaning in a challenging conversation? How do we offer the gift of gap? Last week, Pastor Randy set the foundation for that answer, and we want to build upon that foundation today. If you remember from last week's passage, Moses faced a challenging conversation with the Reubenites and the Gadites. And that conversation would have gone much better if he had just listened. And in today's passage, James, writing over a thousand years later, offers similar advice to Christians in the throes of their own difficult conversation. So this struggle to communicate well is nothing new. It transcends time and place. But the answer, the solution to this struggle, always begins the same way, with listening. Take a look. If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to flip over to James chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. James chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. The Bible reads, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So James begins by giving three commands. Three commands. And these three commands are the key to communicating meaning in a challenging conversation. So let's take the first two together. Be quick to listen and slow to speak. Have you ever been in an argument? Have you ever been in an argument where you just wish the other person would stop talking and start listening? Where no matter what you said or how many times you said it, they just didn't get what you were saying. It was almost like they were purposely trying to misunderstand you. Has that ever happened to you before? See, we humans have this deep, innate desire to be understood, to be heard, especially when the topic is something that we care deeply about. And so when someone is not listening to us, it can be frustrating. I remember one of the most annoying things that someone could do to me when I was a child was pretend not to hear me. Like I'd be on a playground having an argument with someone, and I feel like I'm winning this argument, and then all of a sudden they stop up their ears and they start chanting, I can't hear you, I can't hear you, I can't hear you. So annoying, because it's frustrating. It's frustrating to be speaking and not have anybody listening. And yet, according to the authors of the book, Difficult Conversation, in a difficult conversation, usually both parties feel exactly the same way. Here's what they write. They say, in the great majority of cases, the reason the other person is not listening to you is not because they are stubborn, but because they don't feel heard. In other words, they aren't listening to you for the same reason you aren't listening to them. They think you are slow or stubborn. So part of what makes it's difficult to communicate meaning in a challenging conversation is that both parties want to be heard at the same time. 
So what usually ends up happening is that both speak and nobody listens. And what ensues is like a battle of words with both people trying to force the other to listen to them. One of my professors at Fuller, Dr. Scott Cremode, likens this interaction to an old-fashioned sword fight duel. You know, the kind where one person advances while the other person retreats. And then there's a great reversal, and that person advances while the other person retreats. And it goes back and forth and back and forth. And many of our challenging conversations are like that. They're more conflict than communication. So then how do we break that stalemate? Well, most of us, what we'll try to do is we'll try to batter the other party into submission. You know, Use our words as attacks. Speak forcefully. Repeat ourselves over and over again, just hoping to force them to listen to us. But while attacks may work in a sword fight, it's not effective in communicating meaning in a conversation. Think about it. When you feel attacked, does that make you want to listen to them? Does it well up empathy in your heart? Probably not. Usually feeling attacked makes us defensive and less likely to listen. So then how can we get them to listen to us? How can we communicate meaning in a challenging conversation? How do we break this stalemate? Well, we follow James's advice. We do what Moses should have done. We drop our sword and we listen. We fight every impulse that we have to get defensive, to argue our way out of this conversation. And instead, we listen. We listen with curiosity, try to understand their perspective. We give to them what we want. You could call that the golden rule of communication. Listen to them as you would have them listen to you. And keep listening and keep listening until they stop swinging and stop attacking and start trusting you enough to hand you the sword because they feel understood. They feel like you've taken the time to understand them. See, that's the power of listening. It's almost like magic. When you really listen to someone else, it makes them willing to listen to you. I experienced the power of listening for myself a few weeks ago. See, earlier in that week, I had received a message that a couple members of my family had been removed from a flight that we were planning to take in the fall. And so I called the airline to try to resolve the situation, try to get us on the same flight. But after two hours on the phone, I was no closer to a solution. And I was starting to get frustrated. You know, I had waited on the phone for almost an hour. And when a live person finally came on, let's just say that she was less than empathetic. Every time that I, I tried to explain my situation to her, she would just respond with, sir, it's out of my control. Sir, it's out of my control. I felt like I was speaking to a wall. So when she finally decided to transfer me to another customer service agent, I was ready for a fight. 
my emotions were high. I, I, um, I had organized my thoughts and, and put together these really logical arguments. And as soon as she came on the line, I just unloaded them on her, just point by point by point. But instead of getting angry or offended or even apathetic, she listened. She really listened to me, trying to hear and understand what I was saying. And finally, near the end, when my emotions were spent, she said to me, Sir, it sounds like you had a terrible day. You know, if what happened to you happened to me, I'd feel angry too. So what can I do to help? And just like that, my anger started to bleed out of me. She hadn't even offered a solution yet, but already the fight was leaving my body just because she listened. And when she came back with possible solutions, I was willing to listen to her, even though I didn't get everything that I was looking for. See, that's the power of listening. That's the power of empathy. Empathy begets empathy. So if you want others to listen to you, listen first. Now, like anything in life that's worth doing, being quick to listen and slow to speak is easier in theory than it is in practice. Why? Because our emotions get in the way. That was Moses' struggle. His emotions kept him from listening. And that's why James, James writes that the third command, the third command that people should follow is to be slow to become angry. And that's not easy because sometimes the emotions just take over. Sometimes we get so angry that we can't think straight. Sometimes we get so frustrated that we can't listen. Why does that happen? Why do our emotions sometimes bypass our thought processes? Well, according to psychiatrist Dr. Mark Golston, the answer lies in our biology. Here's how he describes it. Your amygdala, a small area deep in your brain, flies into action if it senses a threat to you. For instance, if a stranger approaches you in a dark parking lot. So this fight or flight instinct can be very helpful when the danger is physical. The challenge is your amygdala doesn't always know the difference between a physical danger and an emotional one. So, he continues, fighting words, a financial scare, or even a challenge to your ego can light it off as well. And sometimes when you're really scared, your amygdala instantly shuts out your higher brain, causing you to act on primitive instinct. At that point, your brain's intelligent and sensible pilot, the frontal cortex, is no longer in control. Your ability to reason drops drastically. Your working memory falters, and stress hormones flood your system. Your adrenaline rush will keep you from thinking clearly in the next minutes, and it may take hours for the full effects to fade. When we feel attacked, our amygdala fires up and we lose the ability to think clearly. Pastor Randy described this process as our emotions jumping from the passenger seat to the driver's seat. And when that happens, the effects can last 
for hours. It can last for hours. And this amygdala hijack explains why many times when we are angry or frustrated or overwhelmed, we make really bad decisions. And that's why James writes, be slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. See, when we are ruled by our anger, we make bad decisions. We make decisions that don't honor God. We make decisions that don't align with God's character. Now, here's where things get a little bit fascinating. See, the dangers that trigger our amygdala are different for each person because each person perceives danger differently. That's why one person can go bungee jumping without an ounce of fear, while another person gets scared just looking over the edge of a cliff. Anybody in that camp? I know I am. See, we all have different triggers. Some are triggered by heights, others by enclosed spaces. And then there are the emotional triggers, failure, loss of control, abandonment. I don't know what your triggers are, but I do know this. All of us have them. And when something someone says touches upon one of our triggers, our amygdala fires up, our emotions jump into the driver's seat, and we lose the ability to think clearly or listen well. So then, how do we how do we slow down this process? How do we become slower to anger? Well, last week we discovered that our past experience and our future uncertainty are connected to our triggers. Our past experience, the scars that we bear from the past, and our future uncertainty, our uncertainty about what the future holds for us. They both cause our triggers. And to these two causes, James adds a third, our present sinfulness. So our past experience, our future uncertainty, and our present sinfulness all contribute to our triggers. See, we all have a unique pattern of sin. It's almost like, it's almost like a fingerprint. And there are certain sins that we are more prone to than others. And usually those sins lie at the root of our triggers. So if pride, if pride is a part of our pattern of sin, then we can be triggered by criticism. If envy is a part of our pattern of sin, then we can be triggered by being outshone. If, if deceit is a part of our pattern of sin, then we can be triggered by being discovered. See, our triggers are often outward expressions of our inward sin. And that's why James writes. That's why he advises his readers to, therefore, if you want to become slow to anger, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. See, the first step, the first step to slowing down our anger is to get rid of the sin that triggers us. And we get rid of this sin by admitting it. We admit the dark desires that drive us. We admit the hidden motivations that we're too embarrassed to share with anybody else. We admit them to God and we admit them to ourselves. Do you know what the Bible calls this process? 
Confession. Confess your sins to God. And James takes this even a step further. In chapter 5 of this same letter, he encourages his readers to confess their sins to each other, to find a trusted friend who will help you identify your pattern of sinfulness. See, by identifying, when we identify our sinfulness, when we identify our sin, we, are, we become more aware of it. And when we become more aware of our sin, we, we better understand it. Like, this is why I get angry all the time. And when we understand our sin, that's when God is able to erode its influence over us. So the first step to becoming slow to anger is to get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent by confessing them, by admitting them, and then humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. So the second step to slowing down our anger is to receive God's word humbly. Because when we do that, we allow God's perspective to become our perspective. See, when our hidden motivations drive us, they color the way that we see the world. And that's why we are triggered by certain circumstances and not others, because we perceive the world through the lens of our sinfulness. So in addition to admitting our sin, it's so important that we also, we also replace our sinful perspective with God's perspective. And we do that by reading scripture read it regularly, by consuming God's word regularly. And for those of us who have followed Jesus for a while now, we know how this works. That when we make time for God's word in our schedules, he brings those words back to mind at the most appropriate times. At times when sin clouds our judgment, he brings in those words to give us clarity about his perspective. So James's advice to us, if we want to slow down our anger, is to practice confession and scripture reading regularly. And I know that sounds simple, it's something that we've heard before. And yet, if we really practice them regularly, they are so powerful. Now, you may have noticed that both of these steps that James wants his readers to follow occur before the conversation even begins. That's because James understands that the battle to listen well is fought before a single word is spoken. So if we want to communicate meaning in a challenging conversation, if we want to bring more healing than harm, if we want to listen well, we have to take time to prepare for these conversations. Prepare by practicing confession and scripture reading regularly. So let me share with you how I've tried to follow James's advice in my own life. First, I've made scripture reading and confession a part of my daily rhythm. Scripture reading seems to fit best for me in the mornings. That way I can carry God's word with me throughout the day. And confession fits best for me in the evenings. As I review my day with God, I invite him to bring to mind those moments where I've hurt him or hurt others. 
And over time, I've seen a pattern emerge. So I've taken that pattern and examined it with, with God and with a couple trusted friends to help me understand why these certain sins have such a hold over my life. And then I ask God for forgiveness and freedom from these sins. So first, I, I make confession and scripture reading a part of my daily routine. But I've also found that following James's advice is helpful right before a challenging conversation. And so whenever I'm about to have a challenging conversation, I take some time to prepare for it. I begin by quickly reviewing my triggers, just so I can be aware of them throughout the conversation. And then I take some time to listen to God's perspective. I try to select a passage of scripture to guide me through the conversation. And when I do this, when I make scripture reading and, and confession a part of my daily rhythm and, and right before uh, difficult conversations, I find that I become slower to anger and quicker to listen. So I encourage you to try this for yourself. Try out James's advice. Make scripture reading and confession a part of your regular routine. Take time to prepare yourself for challenging conversations so that when they come, you can be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Because that's, that's how we give the gift.